Hi, Brent. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Let's start off by just having you tell my audience about yourself. What do you do? Why are you interested in the special education community? Give us a little bit of background. Sure. Yeah, I was born and raised in the Bay Area, Northern California, and I grew up with my two brothers here, my family. When I got married, we stayed. I now have two small kids of my own. My mom was a teacher and my dad was in business. So it was always, which route am I going to take if I want to follow each of their footsteps? I ended up getting my business degree and ended up doing a 180 and went and got my teaching credential after only about a year in business. Just wasn't for me. So yeah, complete 180. I used to volunteer in my mom's classrooms. I used to coach sports teams and summer camps and things. So I felt like my passion was actually more in the classroom versus the business degree that I got. But yeah, my brother's a teacher as well. In fact, he taught the same school as me that I'm at now before he moved to San Diego. And we were known as Mr. Duca one and Mr. Duca two. He was two because he was younger. No, no, no. I was here first. I had one more year before him. That's funny. But yeah. Uh, he was like a door down for me. So would carpool to like open houses and back to school nights. It was really cool for a few years. Oh, that's fun. You and I have opposite experiences because I did what my mom did. I taught and then that wasn't right for me. So then I went to law school and I did what my dad did. So we, right. you and I were similar in that we had two options, what our dads did or what our moms <laughs> did. And it's funny. I've always thought... You head to college at 17, 18 years old. You're like, gosh, I'm supposed to pick what I'm going to do forever right now. And I was undeclared for a little bit before I went to business, but I've always just felt like that was kind of young to make that decision. Yeah, I agree. My 15-year-old is a swimmer. And so in swimming, the recruitment process starts really early, really young. The June after his sophomore year of high school, he can start talking to coaches. And so we've had these discussions about what he wants to study and what he wants to be when he grows up. And honestly, like our discussions are really focused around what could you major in where you're going to know, like you're going to have a nice foundation in order to go to grad school or to work for a few years and then decide what you want to do. We are at Mrs. Barlow's house today. And so there's the dog that we got a UPS delivery. Yeah. So I agree with you, but I think Education's a nice field to get into for people that are, I guess it's a second career. And maybe we can talk about that because today what we're talking about is teacher wellness. And I think it's really interesting to talk about teacher wellness right now in 2023. And so in our preliminary discussions offline, we've talked about why it's so important right now. So maybe we could start with that as like, why is teacher is so important right now in these last couple of years since the pandemic right. started. Right. As I was looking over notes for the podcast last night, I stumbled upon this quote from, I don't know if you know who Gary Vee is, an entrepreneur speaker. I can send you his link after this. Really like him. I follow him. But he had this, this direct quote. He says, there's no such thing as work-life balance. And he goes on to clarify, and there's a lot more to it than that, but just based on that quote, I was thinking, no, I totally don't agree with that. I think life is all about balance. And especially if you're a teacher, 
when I was in business school, and like I said, I did that for about a year, it's different than teaching. Whereas in teaching, you just, if you get too wrapped up in the work and you bring it home and weekends, it can just dominate your life. So I feel like work-life balance is so important with teaching. A lot of teachers, especially in the last couple of years, have experienced burnout. I learned early on trying to stick to those contract hours, trying not to bring work home every night. You deal with a lot of things at school with students, social issues, not bringing it home and letting it seep into every part of your life. It's not selfish. It's filling your own cup. It's separating the two. It's having balance. And I just think that work-life balance is so important for teachers. And as you were saying, in the last couple of years, teacher wellness is just been at the forefront. It used to just be buzzwords. And now I'm seeing that people are actually do practicing teacher wellness, practicing self-care. And I'll tell you, it's really needed right now in the atmosphere in which we're in. You can't pour from an empty cup. I always tell new teachers that who come to our school, I've been here for about 11 years and you can give, but if you're not filling your own cup, kids are smart. They can see if you're having a rough day or if you're not taking care of yourself. So what I always tell everyone, can't pour from an empty cup, got to take care of yourself too. Yeah. And in America, we are definitely tied. Our identities are tied to our professions. I joked when I was pregnant, both times people would say, when are you due? And I would say, oh, I'm an attorney. And they're like, no, when are you due? And I'm like, oh, when? Okay. I have an attorney that's having a baby. But you're just so used to saying, what do you do? And, but particularly in education, like the teacher persona is a lifestyle. And I think kids don't think teachers have houses. They don't think teachers grocery shop or go to the pool or go to church. They think you live at school. And we're like always tied to this persona of being a teacher. And I think that's more prevalent in education than it is in business or healthcare or anything else. And I agree with you that it is that mental health and that kind of balance is so much more important for educators. And you have found a really unique way to keep the balance and doing it in a very specific way. I think found a strategy to address some of the fatigue and the uncertainty and anxiety during the lockdown period of COVID. Why don't you tell us about the new skill that you developed to combat that or to work on that balance, let's say? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned, feel like students think we sleep at school (laughs) when they see us in the grocery store. They're like, oh my gosh, you're a human. It's funny. It it is defining. Teaching does define our lives. Again, it's good to keep that that work-life balance. So during the pandemic, as all teachers know, and parents know at this point, we were in the house a lot during quarantine and all that. And it almost became a different career in a way. There were so many new things we had to learn to keep students engaged, to keep curriculum accessible through a screen. You know, I'm looking at 30 students on the screen. It's just, it almost became a different career. But with that, I found myself with a lot of other people having a little more free time at home. It's like you couldn't get done teaching and go here, go there. There were a lot of restrictions, especially here in California. And I have my two kids, my wife, we're all stuck in the house. But the free time that I had, I found myself getting into woodworking a little bit. We were going through a little bit of a renovation on the house, just fixing up a few things. 
And my father-in-law and my dad are very handy growing up. My dad would teach me things here and there. My father-in-law is very hands-on. So during this time, they would come over and help with the renovations. They, and I just started to take an interest to it. I'm not, I wasn't handy at all. I was intimidated by it all. Okay. But again, we were in the house. There was nothing to do. So yeah, why not? I just started, yeah, why not? So I jumped in and I surprised myself. I actually really enjoyed working with my hands. I really enjoyed kind of figuring it all out. A lot of trial and error. That was probably my best teacher. My father-in-law and my father taught me a lot, but trial and error was safe trial and error was where I got most of my, my experience. So yeah, woodworking, after I got done teaching, I would just go in the workshop for a little bit, have that release. And that, that's when my wife would let me in, go in there because we have two small kids. And again, we got a lot going on. But when I got a few minutes, I would escape in there just to get that release. Because again, we just, as teachers, we just needed to practice this self-care because burnout was real during the pandemic for teachers. And again, I think wellness, teacher wellness is just so important back then and right now going forward, we yeah. need to keep that momentum going. I just finished Michelle Obama's newer book. I think it's called like The Light Within or something. I think it's right here. Right. Bag. And yeah, it's called The Light We Carry. And she started knitting during the pandemic. She taught herself how to knit using YouTube. And she talks about how that was an outlet for her and kept her hands busy so that she was doing something with her hand. I have always found that I have anxiety. I was born with anxiety. And then I was in an accident when I was 15. And I got chronic PTSD. And so when my anxiety just ebbs and flows and when it's more significantly affecting my life, I find that if I've got a craft to do, like sometimes I'll just start baking bread, like twice a week I'll bake bread or I like to do needlepoint and cross stitch and I'll be like, oh, mm -hmm. I need a project. And then I'll think back on it. Now I've got the wisdom to know that I feel anxious. I need a project. But Right. When I was younger, all of a sudden I'd be like, why am I so into baking? And I'm like, oh, because I need to create something. And I think right now I'm trying to set that example for my kids because kids can feel icky and just dive right into technology. And if we're setting the example of feeling icky and creating something and stepping away from the stressors, whether that's work or that's something social or it's just like the daily grind. Right. I think setting a much better example for kids too. Do you see that happening? Yeah, absolutely. Going back to what you said about needlepoint, knitting, baking for you, it's like when you get in that zone, you're just in it and the world disappears. And it's almost like my wife used to call it taking a hard break. If you take a break while scrolling or while doing this, it's not really a break from your job. If you really just allow yourself to disappear, these hard breaks, you come back feeling so refreshed. So the baking, totally understand that. It's just like when I go out in the workshop, everything just disappears. You get that hard break. And yeah, kids, like I was saying earlier, kids totally, kids are smart. They catch on easily and they can see what side of the bed you woke up on and they can see how you're doing. Even if they can't verbally tell you that, like their nonverbal reactions to us, you can totally see that they pick up on things. So yeah. it's important for my students, but also my own children as well. Yeah. So you took your work with your woodworking and you made a business of it. You like really made lemonade out of the lemons of 2020. So tell us about the business that you started. So as I was getting into woodworking, Zoom at the same time, 
if you notice, teachers would have these setups, they'd have their home office setups because they're used to be in the classroom. Like, okay, I need a corner of the house or a little bedroom to teach in. And they'd have posters behind them and they'd have things set up. And I wanted to make something for teachers that would brighten up the workspace a little bit while also keeping it organized. So I started creating items. I was woodworking, creating these items for teachers to display on their desks that would say their names or, or maybe a funny saying they had for their class. And also an organization piece where they would put their pencils or put their markers and display it on their desk. And the fun part is my wife has always been into font and calligraphy. So she actually does the lettering on all the items. So it's like a little husband and wife team. I build it and paint it. And then she gets the lettering and we send them off. And that's been really fun. It started during the pandemic, still going now. But it's been a lot of fun combining my two passions, woodworking and teaching. So yeah. And it gets rid of what you make. I went through a phase when I was teaching, I was really into beading. Yeah. So beads, I mean, people can make the most gorgeous glass beads. And I just really loved putting the colors together and making jewelry out of it. But Mm -hmm. I could make 15 necklaces. You know, I didn't have kids and I would work until nine o'clock at night, but I wasn't tired till 11. (laughs) So I would sit and I don't know, watch whatever I was watching. And make necklaces i'd cover my entire ottoman and i'd be like okay that's all but that and that felt really great to me that's what i liked but i was right. like oh my god i need more money to make more beads <laughs> and so, so much inventory <laughs> yeah yeah so i would start selling it too i'd have little parties yeah that's super cool so what it seems to me following you on instagram what you sell the most is like those pencil holders and, and kind of desk things and clipboards and stuff like that for teachers. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And again, initially I sent some to a few teachers I met on social media and the teacher gram world and they were displaying them and it caught on. And then I, a little, I opened up a little Etsy shop and then more teachers were ordering and it became this little business at nine o'clock at night. My wife would be like, oh man, I have to write these five pencils. It's kind of a, a funny thing between us, but I would get them done. We'd send them out made us a lot busier. And then what I noticed is family or parents started to order them for their kids, little desk areas at home where they were doing, they were ordering them for the child's teacher when they returned in person or when they had some kind of hybrid format when they returned to school. So it just, everyone started ordering them and it, it was a lot of fun. And I would see them, people would send me pictures of on their teacher's desks and their student desks at home. And it really made me feel good. It was just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so cool that you could bring joy to other teachers, other people in your field and help them with a need to set up that little space that they had for recording while also finding joy yourself in this creative outlet and learning a new skill and occupying your time in a meaningful way. So it's totally full circle. Yeah. And and even though we're all back in person now and I know COVID's gone. We're still in the midst of things, but I want to continue this woodworking and I want people to, that took up hobbies, I want them to continue to fill their own cup, if you will. Going forward, we know how important teacher wellness is now. So really just want those things to continue. Yeah. And I think that's one tool or strategy that people can utilize if they are feeling overwhelmed. I connect with a lot of teachers here at Ashley Barlow Company and the idea of fatigue has entered so many different conversations with so many people over the last couple of years. So it's obviously pervasive. And I think people have found other outlets, right? 
but there's counseling and there's exercise and there's connecting yep. with other people, learning a new skill, doing a hobby. There are so many ways to address that, those feelings, whatever the feelings are that are associated with all of these changes. And I think something else that is, somebody said this to me and it was such an epiphany. And I always think it's important to talk about when we talk about caregiver fatigue and particularly in education. So the field of education changed entirely. You guys had to totally relearn how to do your jobs. Yet you were expected to do your jobs every single day. You got very few teacher work days off, modified schedules, et cetera. And every other industry except for healthcare, which was changed through the pandemic, you got COVID days, you got work days, you got the ability to work from home differently. Like the demands were lowered incredibly. In education, the demands were hired and you were expected to keep up the same level of performance. No wonder you're all so tired. Yeah. I think acknowledging makes a big difference. When I started over a decade ago, I feel like teaching has always been a tough gig. And, but we go into it because we really enjoy it. It never feels like you're clocky in and clock out. It doesn't even feel like a job half the time. It's fun. And it, like I said, it's always been a tough job, but when the pandemic came, it just exacerbated that. Like we had to learn so many things. It's like we were building the airplane in the air, if you will. Yeah. And it was important to keep students engaged and keep the curriculum accessible. We were still attending IEPs. Most of my students are English language learners. It was very tough to keep them engaged, keep it all accessible while considering all those things and differentiating instruction every day over the computer. It's just so difficult to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was no other choice. <laughs> that's right. And so you've got to plug along. The kids are what drive it and that's what the kids needed. And so that's what we did right. in order to keep them safe. So last question, and that is the thing that I promote here at Ashley Barlow Company the most is the collaborative spirit of the IEP team. And so what that involves is really supporting one another, whether we're talking about the parents or the teachers or the related service professionals, the administrators, we've all got to work all year long together to support the child. And so as parents become more and more aware and conscientious about being with teachers in these last couple of years, do you have ideas for how parents can support teachers in accessing strategies to combat this fatigue and anxiety and overwhelm that is global in the education community. Yeah. The Holman School Connection, it's always been pushed in our school. It's always been encouraged developing rapport with parents as teachers in the beginning of the year. You always say you don't want to meet a parent for the first time when you're calling them to tell them about a problem. You want to make that initial reach out when there's something positive happening. Again, you want to build that rapport with them early on. As far as parents supporting teachers, being more engaged in the process. So as a parent, my wife and I, we do a few things to, to support teachers. We always try to, to maybe volunteer for a field trip or an event. We This is small, but like donating tissue boxes and sanitizer and things like that to the classroom. You see all these teachers at the Amazon wish lists and it's like they, they do, they spend their own money on all these things. So just a couple of little things we do. When I have students, I can tell in the morning they're coming in, they're well rested. They ate breakfast perhaps. We have free and reduced lunch here, so we give breakfast at school as well. But if they're just ready for the school, 
there's no loss in instruction time. We can just hit the ground running at eight o'clock. So a good night's sleep and breakfast is important. And also just the accountability piece with Zoom, it made a lot, it made a lot of things harder as far as homework, as far as turning in work, just, it became tough. It was a tall order to get everyone to turn things in. So when parents are aware of what the assignments are, aware of what the expectations are, and they help those, help their students with accountability really helps the teacher out. So everyone's on the same page. That so, real partnership. Yeah. And, and you know, that's what I think parents lose a lot. The way parents come into me as an attorney for an initial consult, and I start asking questions about when did you start talking to the teacher about this? And what questions have you asked? And what information have you gotten? And was that in an email? Or do you have regular meetings? What'd you learn at the parent-teacher conference? Have you looked at their journal or whatever it is? And if the answer to all of those is no, or I haven't done that yet, I'm like, you have to start. You have, you've right. got to work as a team. You've got to support one another. And really, that's so basic. Sometimes I say it's really akin to like a business meeting. You would never oops, develop a project at work that's going to be a year-long project and then never check in with people. The whole team is communicating on at least a quarterly basis, if not more frequently, depending on, in this case, the child's age and the disability that we're talking about and even their placement to a certain extent and all of those things. You've got to continue to communicate and support one another. And once you really work as a team, my yep. opinion is you that kind of support becomes really natural because you want to support the other people on the team in supporting the child. So yeah, absolutely. The teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. Those, the wraparound services, the parents, the school psychs, the counselors, the speech pathologists, the, the, the resource teachers, when everyone's on that email chain with the parents, when everyone's, then the child notices like, okay, this is consistent. I'm getting the supports in all these classrooms. I feel engaged. I can access all of the curriculum. It makes a big difference in the school day. Yeah. It Sure as heck does. So why don't you tell my audience where they can find you and where they can buy their stuff, buy your stuff okay. if you're a teacher. Sure. Our little business is called Classroom and Woodwork. Got the little education part and the woodwork part, combining them classroom and woodwork. There's an Etsy and on the Etsy shop, there's a link where you can follow our little newsletter where we send you little Etsy discount codes, fun new products, things like that. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Classroom and Woodwork. You can follow me there. Oh, I don't think I follow you on TikTok. I'm going to have to see. <laughs> I, don't think I, I, I still don't know if I'm cool enough for TikTok, but I just repurpose things a bit more. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. And I was really excited for some woodwork dances. <laughs> You've given me a new idea, maybe. Wait till your children, you're the children that live in your house are oh, a little goodness. older because you got to learn TikTok dances, just four or five. To embarrass them at the grocery store. Have them like, film. Yeah. I just do it going down the aisles. Come on, people. Oh, my God. I love this song. I know the dance. And they're like, ah. I can't wait for those. It's like, I live for that. Brent, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast ever, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ashley. Uh, thank you.